and welcome to Between Us Leaders, a place where we talk about leading with wisdom and godly devotion. I'm your host, Terry Herndon, and today I have with me Reverend Amy Miranda. She is a wife, mother, and author of the book, Prostitute to Pastor. When I felt the Lord talking to me about starting this podcast, I took out my phone, opened notes, and began listing possible titles and guests I would like to interview. And Amy, well, she was in the top five that I wrote down. And the title of this episode is Pastoring with a Past. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you so much. I am so excited and I love the title that is right in my wheelhouse, my lane, and I was so blessed to be asked to be with you. Well, we are so blessed to have you, and um, I want to jump into your story. And so I'd actually like to start by uh, reading from your opening chapter in your book. And in there you write, um, as, a, as foreign and extreme as this experience may seem, it is far from the depths of my behavior throughout my too many years of, of my life, years in which a good little girl known for her ability to excel in school and family life, left a straight and narrow highway to wander the back roads and alleys of sex, drugs, and headbanging rock and roll. This is my story, a saga that may be uncomfortable for some people to read, though it is no longer painful for me to tell. I love that last line, Amy. <laughs> it is not painful to tell. It's funny because we... Um, you know, when you get an injury or a wound that heals, you know, you may have a scar, like I had mm -hmm. knee surgery and I have a scar that goes across my knee. It doesn't hurt. It's not sore. You know, I can bang it and bump it up against things because it's healed. The scar is just a reminder that I had a wound. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same thing with my past. I have been healed and that it no longer hurts. People bump into me. My past comes up or things happen. It doesn't hurt because I've been healed. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that illustration. I have a scar on my right eye between my eye and my temple because I had a little basal cell uh, carcinoma removed. And, um, you know, it's, it's visible and I have some little things here and there, but it's, you're right. Scars tell a story of whatever. And exactly. um, yours is a beautiful story and we shouldn't be ashamed of our scars. When I first read that line, when I was reading your book, um, the, the scripture that immediately came to mind, um, was I was when uh, Paul says in second Timothy one, three, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. And I love that. And I remember when I first read read that passage of scripture, I was just struck by that. I, whom God, whom I serve with the pure conscience, I thought, Oh my goodness. If Paul can serve the Lord with the pure conscience, because how many times do we serve God with the guilty conscience? Right. I mean, we do, we sometimes we do, we serve God with the, with the guilty conscience, yeah. but to be able to serve God with the pure conscience. And that was the whole motivation for this podcast so that we as leaders can serve God with a pure conscience. Absolutely. It's to be, and it's, you're all in, you are all in when you're, when you're serving with a guilty conscience or some shame, it's almost like, it's almost like keeping your hand on a door that's filled with stuff and you're trying to keep it closed 
and mm-hmm. go about life, but you're so worried about that popping open, you're really not present and you're really not all in and God's not using you at your full capacity. Right. If I was so busy juggling, trying to keep my past a secret. There is no way I would have said yes to all that God brought my way. I would have needed to stay close to that closet to keep it closed. Mm. You know, I wouldn't be able to keep stepping and moving forward. You know, we move from glory to glory to glory. I'd still be at phase one, just making sure nobody opened that door. Oh, that's such a good visual. That's such a good visual. Standing close to the door so nobody opens it. Exactly. Oh, that's good, Amy. So in your book, you talk about, you have this uh, a line that says, um, you are wandering through my maze of wrong turns. Can you kind of bring us back a little bit? So we've got the end of the story, but let's go back a little bit to how does a good little girl Mm -hmm. who's doing great in school um, start wandering through a maze of wrong turns? Um, and then I should preface it. The great in school wasn't math, (laughs) science, uh, it was music and art and drama, that part of it. I found my niche and I loved it. I was, you know, a trumpet player and I had a music scholarship and I just, I love school. Um, but I always get asked the question, you know, how in the world, you know, prostitution, how in the world? And I can assure you it was not in my childhood diary. No one writes someday. I hope to shame my entire family. Mm. Um, You know, these aren't dreams. We have dreams of being ballerinas and teachers and doctors and scientists. We have dreams um, and, you know, that God puts in us and the enemy is out to abort them. I I think um, Joyce Meyer said that, that the enemy wants to abort our dreams. Mm. And, um, and so I, I had a desire when I was nine years old, I dreamt that I was going to be a, a, a pastor. I told my dad, I'm going to be a preacher. Mm. And, and this is back in Kentucky and this is, you know, the seventies and he's, you know, well, honey, women aren't preachers. And so that dream, you know, the enemy snatched it from me. And I, I thought, well, I know I'm called to something. What is it? And so without that grounding of knowing what God had for me and sticking to it, I just kind of latched on to anything that opportunity that came my way. And so after high school, I moved to Colorado. I started doing cocaine. I had an affair with a married man. I moved to Florida. I was doing uh, crank and LSD and heavy metal and rock and roll. And I moved to New York and I began to drink uh, just a lot of alcohol to just kind of numb. And so that maze is you just make one wrong turn, one wrong turn, one, and there's no way out. Mm -hmm. And since there's no way out, you know, broken people make broken decisions. And I just kept making one broken decision after another, because I never felt I would be whole again anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, I always describe it as like living in a dark pit and you just decorate it since you're not going to get out anyway. You know, mm-hmm. at least there's nice furniture in my dark pit. Um, cause that's the deceit. The enemy makes you think you've gone too far. You've done too much. You're too, too deep into this. So, you know, with the drinking, it was hard to keep a daytime job. So I literally went through the newspaper to find a job I could do in the evening. And it was dancing for bachelor parties. And I kept thinking, well, I have a musical background and, you know, I'll do a line of Coke and I have, you know, some liquid courage I'll drink up and, and then I can do this. And, you know, when you have a broken life and you don't feel like you have value or worth, but you have this outward, like, Oh, you're beautiful. And this outward desire 
it's kind of like a quick fix for you. So I felt, I felt wanted. And so I kept doing that. And then I ended up getting a job in a a strip club. Um, and then the lady that hired me for bachelor parties, um, mentioned that she'd like to hire me as an escort. And, um, so I, you know, it's so funny to live this life. The little girl in, in from Indiana, where I was born and raised, was in this little bubble. Amy was always in the bubble. Amy's always um, had biblical knowledge. Amy's always known that there's God and that he loves her. So she was protected. But this persona that I, I created for myself, Sydney, was out there living this other life. And you and actually went by the name Sydney. I did. Right? I did go by the name Sydney. And it was a different person. Mm-hmm. And and the enemy, he, he makes you think that you can live this separate life and it's not going to bleed into your other life. You know, you're, but what's happening is your soul is being affected and the core of who you are. And so I ended up doing prostitution. Um, she trained me and sent me out and it's, it is not pretty woman. It's not Richard Gere. It's, it's foul. It's vile. It is, beyond. And I was very careful in the book. I mean, there's some things in there that it's kind of visual, but I I needed people to understand, to appreciate the light that I'm walking in. I needed them to see the contrast of the dark that I was in. And it was a fine line. I didn't want to paint too many pictures of what's happening in the world, but what other human beings are requiring. You don't even fathom things like that are happening. I mean, I can't even fathom the phrase that she trained you, she taught you, yes. she mentored you in in how to become a prostitute. I mean, I that yes. just yeah, it was. Well, a I, I can't even comprehend that as a as a mother, right. as you know, an, an aunt, as a wife, as a woman. <laughs> Right. You know, I yeah. just, it just, I just can't even fathom that just does not even compute in my and brain. You get, and it's, it's that maze. It's constant broken decision. So you think, well, I'll never be whole, but at least I'll have money. Mm. You know, I'll never be valued um, and treasured that way, but I'll have money. So you, you, are trying to find your worth any way you can. When I left Indiana, uh, after I graduated high school, I did not want to serve God because I thought, well, I'm not going to be a preacher. I feel like I've been duped. I don't know what's going on. I will find my own way. And when you do that, you leave yourself void of a place where God was meant to be. And you're trying to fill it. And the world and people are trying to fill that void with alcohol, drugs, shopping, um, sex, whatever it's going to take, but only God can reside there. And, and you, you do, you keep making one broken decision after another because you think you'll never be whole. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were told that women are not pastors, that really kind of changed, as I see the, the trajectory of, of your life, you thought you were going down one path or you had this dream and this vision that was just, just cut. And kind of sent you in a different direction. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. And so is discouragement. Yes. Discouragement can do uh, a couple of things. Discouragement can take the wind out of your sail and you're stuck, or it will turn the, um, uh, um, the rudder on your ship and Mm. get you off course. Yeah. Discouragement is powerful. 
for some people, it's interesting to me how people respond to different things. You know, like for some people, if you say you can't do that, they're going to, oh yeah, I will. Let me show you how. Um, That is not me. I I was like, oh, I can't. Oh no. And I, like you would go a different direction if I'm told, no, that is not a a, a way to get me, you know, doing anything. Um, Wow. That's. And especially when it comes from someone that you admire or someone in authority. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a pastor at the time. Mm. So he would know best, right? Yeah. That's what you think. He would know best. So. Yeah. Wow. So he, I mean, he was speaking, I guess, out of, out of what he, his understanding. Exactly. And uh, his upbringing and where he yeah. came from and it's, yeah. it just passed on. Yep. It wasn't because he didn't love his little girl. Exactly. Was, exactly. Like, and he, you know, he still apologizes for that moment when that happened and oh. you know, God worked all things together. It's like Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It's there okay. you go. There yeah. you go. So at one point you found um, in your travels, you, you were pregnant. I believe you were in New York. Is that is that yes. correct? And you, yeah. you got pregnant um, and your Grammy offered you a, a safe place to land. Yes. Kind of bring us yeah. to that point. Yeah. Um, and I was back and forth between Canada and um, my daughter's biological father is the DJ of this strip bar that I worked at in Canada. And um, we lived together for about six months. And when I got pregnant, um, I was kind of at a loss because I knew I had ruined my life. And now there's this baby. Mm. And, you know, when I share my story and I talk with women, I can't explain to you why I did not just get an abortion. Cause I had many people just say, just get an abortion. The father just get an abortion. And it was so strange that I could not do it. I could prostitute, mm. but I couldn't mm. do that. Mm. And it's like, you know, especially if people are listening and you're praying for a prodigal, God knows where they need to get and God knows that moment and we have to let them get there. Mm -hmm. So for me, this pregnancy was my moment. I could not destroy this baby's life because I had already destroyed mine. And so my grandmother um, got me a plane ticket. I ended up in uh, Lodi, California, living with my Grammy and um, she would go to church and I would watch her. And then I, I was on welfare and WIC and food stamps. I had my baby girl. I was going to school. I'm going to be a dental assistant. I'm just going to keep my hand on that closet door and no one will ever know. And I'll raise my baby. So can you, I, I should have asked you earlier. Can you put a time frame on this? Like how old are you? During, I am during this 23, 23. Okay. Uh, well, I just turned 22. So I was had her at 23. So, okay. Yeah. And so, you know, it wasn't a lifetime in it. Uh, thank God. I think he knew how much um, my brain could handle of mm. drugs and drinking. And uh, he knows our limit. He knows the max and he'll, he'll, he'll let us get there. He will let us get there. So um, I decided one day to go to church for my daughter. I thought church isn't for me. Um, but she can go and learn about church and God and Easter. And Mm -hmm. she has hope, right? There's Mm -hmm. hope for her. I'm ruined. Mm -hmm. I'm broken. I church is not for me. It's not for the broken. That's the the thinking that broken people have, because you look at the church and you think that it's filled with perfect people. Mm -hmm. They dress just right. They act just right. Um, 
they come across like everything's in order. They have perfect marriages. Um, I think we're getting better as a church at being more honest and real. Mm -hmm. I think life groups are a big part of that. Hanging out with people and finding like, oh my gosh, you argue or <laughs> you know, your kids aren't perfect. They just yelled at you. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of stripping away the idea of being, you know, we're imperfect people serving a perfect God. Yes. And but when you're on the outside looking in, you're thinking that people are perfect. So I went to church for my daughter and I'm telling you, this is back in the early nineties when we still had the choirs and the robes and they were rocking the Brooklyn tabernacle and they were swaying and singing and love my me love, Brooklyn tab. right. Come on. Yes, they do. That's it. And they, I mean, they were swaying and my love of music that God put in me, the mm -hmm. enemy corrupted that love of music, right. As a straight, right. But the love of music was genuine and real from God. And he used that to woo me back mm. because I wanted to be in that choir. I don't know what I needed to do. So I literally asked the choir director who was actually the pastor's wife at the time. And I said, I would love to be in your choir, but I'm not a Christian, but I used to be. <laughs> so what I'm thinking is, you know, the churches, I can pretend I know how to say, God bless you, praise the Lord. And let's do lunch. I got the lingo <laughs> down, right? I can, I can totally fake this. It's going to be fine. And she, I mean, bless her heart, Edwina Duncan, God love her. She thought, she said later, she felt like God was saying, Edwina, I'm doing something in this young girl work with me. Mm. And she broke protocol for me, not being a Christian coming in. And, you know, I just think about the woman at the well and how Jesus broke protocol yes, to he meet did. her at the well. And be, she became the first female evangelist and going out and getting the village and saying, come meet Jesus. So, yes. you know, something about breaking that protocol, you know, we, we need to have structure. We need to have rules, but we need to cooperate with the Holy spirit as well. Amen. And that's exactly what she did. And that first Sunday, I'm telling you, I don't know what was preached. I don't know what was said. I don't know what we sang, but I knew that God was knocking on my heart. I knew mm -hmm. he was. And there's this panic of, oh my gosh, God, you don't know where I've been. And he said, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. But God, you don't know what I've done. And he said, yes, I do. God, you don't know who I've been with. And he said, Amy, I know every one of them by name. Mm. And I felt like the little girl that broke the lamp kind of thing. Like, God, that beautiful life that you gave me in Indiana, the hopes and dreams that I have, I broke them. And I, 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 I all I have is a broken life. And that day, 30 years ago, Jesus said, Amy, I died for the broken. And that's when I realized that the cross is not so we could have Easter and get new dresses and Easter egg and, and chocolate bunnies. The horrific act of the cross was so the broken could be redeemed and restored and renewed and have hope again. So I laid my broken pieces down and God, I, I, I'm almost speechless sometimes to think and amazed at what he did absolutely amazed because just salvation alone just knowing that when i stand before him i'm in right standing with god yeah. i love that that's it's like 23 times in romans it says right standing mm. right standing right standing yeah i am in right standing with god and i was a prostitute 
And that, that's just that is serving God with the pure conscience. That absolutely, <laughs> I'm not going to water down the blood of Jesus Christ and say it wasn't enough for me. You know, his sacrifice can do this person and that person, but it's not enough for me. I'm not going to water down his blood. Mm-hmm. It was enough. It was final for me. And it that's has good. just opened doors beyond what I could even fathom beyond. That is so awesome. Yay, Jesus. <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. Yes, yes. That is so good. I want to get your husband in here. You are married. Oh my gosh, my best friend. We're actually going to celebrate 30 years in May. Oh, congratulations. And he is the reason there's a book. He's the reason that we started our ministry to begin with. We were actually... um Now he knew when I met him that I had done stripping and other things. And it wasn't until five years into our marriage that I was able to tell him what it was. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I was keeping it a secret. I was just busy keeping that closet closed. Okay. You know, I thought I could be a good wife and a good mom and, you know, go about and do what I need to do. But I was so busy keeping that closet closed. I wasn't really living. Mm. to the fullness that God's called me to. And so it was a women's retreat that I felt like I just needed to renounce all of this and just let it go. And I came home and I said, there's something I need to tell you. And it's so funny because there was still that shame blanketed over it because Mm. I said, I was a woman of the evening. (laughs) <laughs> and he laughs and he goes, I thought you had like a side job at Lowe's or something. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't even say prostitute, like lightning was going to strike me or something. Oh. And to this day, when I share my story, some pastors, I can see they're so uncomfortable. Like, could you stop saying that? <laughs> could you stop, saying, the stop word? saying that? Yes. Such a bad word. Um, but it's like saying caterpillar when it's a butterfly. Who cares? Caterpillar, caterpillar. Who cares? Right? So he just said, oh my gosh, babe, you need to tell people. And I thought, wow, you know, it's prostitute, not Protestant, right? <laughs> I said prostitute, right? And so it's just kind of this running joke that he said, you got to tell people you're going to, you're going to bring your story is going to bring so much hope that, you know, some women get a hangnail and they think life is over. They're going to see where God has brought you and you're going to bring so much hope. So he's the one that initiated the whole thing about sharing. And it would just start a little, like at a little tea or one-on-one here. And then someone would say, oh, could you come to our church and share? And then it just grew into a whole ministry of just going around saying, hey, I used to be a prostitute. Now I'm a pastor. And it's crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> and was his response what you expected? No, no. I thought he would feel like duped or, um, angry, um, you know, or or else maybe like, well, don't tell anyone, you know, keep Mm -hmm. that a secret. I don't want people to know who my wife has been with, but that's the thing. When you marry a, marry a godly man, that's all he's sold out for God Mm -hmm. and, and can see through the lens of what God can see instead of seeing, um, you know, the crack in the pot, he sees how God can use that to water the flowers. Yeah. 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 Oh, he sounds like a special guy. Oh my gosh. He's, he's, he just, he has dreams. He goes, babe, I picture I'm driving the bus. I'm at your book table. (laughs) You know, he just, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So Amy, what do you do when the enemy of our soul attempts to condemn you for your past? Because I'm sure he reminds you. Yeah, he is such a jerk. He's such a jerk. (laughs) 
Here's an example. Okay. So I was helping at a men's conference and I was at the door and I was putting stamps on their hands because that was going to be like their lunch ticket. Right. And about halfway through the devil does the whole, you know, thought thing. And he's like, boy, Amy, you've probably slept with this many men. Mm. And I turned and I looked at the auditorium and there were hundreds and I've done the math before and it's literally in the hundreds. Mm. And I went, oh my gosh. And I got really hot and nauseous and I excused myself and I went to the bathroom and I just felt sick. Mm. I felt really sick. And this is kind of like that moment of you're handed this rock and it says shame on it. What am I going to do with this rock? Am I going to beat myself down with it? Am I going to just hide it and let it weigh me down? Or am I going to lay it down like an altar Mm. and say, this is the moment where Jesus Christ saved me. Yes, I was a prostitute and I've been with hundreds of people, but I did not get a debilitating disease. Mm. I did not get murdered. I did not get scarred and beaten. I actually was rescued at one time by a cab driver at one of my gigs that I was at. Mm. So I begin to turn it into praise. So when he reminds me of my past, I like to turn it into praise. Mm. I don't there you go. like, like, no, I didn't do that. I'm not in denial. I'm like, yes, I was a prostitute. Yes. I've probably been with this, but look where I'm at today. I am serving these men instead of leading them to hell. And I have been redeemed and I've been restored. And I just, I go over in my head what God says I am, who he says that I am. Yeah. So that's really important to know the word and to know who you are. Yes. Because, you know, the devil's trying to offer you a knockoff and you need to be familiar with the authentic. There you go. So, um, you know, what he said was true that, yeah, I probably did. But the reality is I don't do it anymore. And I'm not there. I don't live. It doesn't stop there. It does not stop there. So I turn it into praise. It takes effort and it takes practice because he's a jerk and he'll just keep trying. But the more and more you praise, the less and less he tries. (laughs) Right? He knows what's coming. He's like, no, I don't want to hear that anymore. Right? Exactly. I'm not going that route anymore. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's so awesome, Amy. What a great testimony. I love, um, I love second Timothy, uh, the whole chapter of chapter one. So that's where we started off with, I I serve God with a pure conscience and Paul continues and he's reminding Timothy of his genuine faith that he has in God. And in verse six, Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift of God, which was in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And I love that, that you are not ashamed of it. And that all of this is, is stirring up those gifts that God has given you. I love it. It's his glory story. Yeah. No, it's, if you make it about him and not you, and we, we tend to make everything about us and Mm. it's, it's about Jesus period. That's it. It's about him and it's his glory story. I, I remember one time I went through the Starbucks drive-through and the lady went to give me my drink and she goes, Oh, wait, aren't you the, and she was afraid to say it. And I said, the former prostitute, she goes, yes. And she goes, I'm so glad you came through here today. I needed to see hope. Oh, wow. When she said those words to me, I just, she said, I needed to see hope. Wow. My story and who I am represents hope. 
And if I hadn't been open and shared it with her, she would have missed that. Wow. Was she at a church service or how did? No. Oh, no. I I find every opportunity I can to share it, (laughs) even at Starbucks. I think it was because one day I paid uh, with a lot of ones and I said, hey, this isn't stripper money. And she (laughs) laughed. And I said, because I don't do that anymore. And she laughed. And I said, no, really, that's what I used to do. And she was shocked. So, of course, I shared the story with her. Right. Yeah. I want to plan it. And so when she sees me and she says, I needed to see hope. Wow. Yeah. We all, we all carry the hope of Jesus Christ, but we're not all sharing it freely. That's amazing. That is so good. So what, so now you have a ministry, you mentioned that several times. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, Well, we had Amy Miranda ministry and, you know, traveling and speaking. Um, 2019, we got to go to Africa um, two months ago, I got to go to France to a ministry that uh, ministers wow. on colleges. Um, and then of course, starting all this, um, podcasting and things online through 2020, trying to get that up and running YouTube station, things like that. But it was in 2016, um, my pastor, Mark Guerrero at century assembly, he said, Amy, you have a pastor's heart. And I would love for you to be our associate pastor. Mm. What do you think about going to Bible college? And up until this point, I have learned the power of yes. When my husband asked me to marry him, I didn't feel I deserve someone like that. Mm. But if God's going to bring it before me. So I said, yes, Um, I had an opportunity to step in a classroom and begin teaching, even though I don't have a degree and I didn't feel qualified, but God brought it to me. So I said, yes. There you go. And then, um, He's coming on as the children's director at the church feeling, you know, what do I have to give? But God presented it. I said, yes. So I've learned along the way, if God presents it, just say, yes, he will qualify the call. Mm. And so I said, yes. So I went to Bible college. So I actually became a licensed credentialed minister in 2018. Um, Next week I go in for my interview for ordination. Congratulations. That's so awesome. And so I'm, those are only doors that God has opened. Um, I was busy staying in my lane, running my race and no one else's, but mine. And God brings those things to you. Yes. If you stay in your lane. And so, um, but it was in 2019 that we stepped down as associate pastor at century to do full-time ministry with Amy Miranda ministry. Um, we had like 30 engagements, got to go to Africa. It was amazing. And then 2020 hit. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I had been doing Uber as well because, you know, not on a full-time staff, um, for that season, uh, and the ministry just building. So, uh, for 2020, I was doing Instacart and shopping for people and doing zoom conferences online and uh real life church in galt has brought me on as their life group pastor wonderful which is my heart life groups that's the key to everything and so um that's where i'm at currently and um just sharing the hope of Jesus Christ at any opportunity. Um, I love when I get a ministry and they'll say, you know, we'd love to have you come speak. What's your fee? And, you know, I have a friend that says, you know, a person's only worth their value. And she, you know, she kind of goes on like that. And I'm thinking it is such an honor to speak. So I always tell them whatever God has laid on your ministry's heart will meet the needs for both. And it always does. That's awesome. Always does. So God has been faithful. And I feel like it's just the beginning of the beginning. Oh, that's good. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see what the next yes is. 
That's so good. I always do it. I'm scared to death. Um, very intimidated, feel unqualified, but I always say yes. I don't care. I will always say yes, no matter how scared I am or how inadequate I feel like I am um, because God is God and his track record. He's never failed. That is a great way to live life. (laughs) It's freeing. That's for sure. The power of yes, it's freeing. Yes. Yes. And so the last final, final question for you here, Amy, before we wrap up, which is, um, this has been so, such a great conversation is what does wisdom say about your life story? Wisdom would say, as long as there's breath, there is hope Mm. because your eyes will tell you it's over. It's defeated. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. But, but wisdom says, and what God says is our wisdom. And it says, as long as there's hope, as long as there's breath, there's hope. Amen. And on that note, Amy, can you pray for those who are in need of some, a little bit of hope today? Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you for your hand of mercy and grace and that you don't give us what we deserve. You are so gracious. You are so kind. You are so loving and you are so good. And I pray for those that are hearing this right now in this season of their life. Maybe they've been standing back at the door, keeping it closed when they know they should be 10 steps ahead. I pray this next season that we're walking into that they rely on that hope that you are our anchor. You are the hope that we need Mm -hmm. and that they trust you. And as long as their faith is in you, their hope is in you, that they take that first step and they're willing to leave the past behind and to move into the present and Mm -hmm. to step towards the future. So I pray for courage. I pray for your Holy Spirit, Father God, to just give them the boldness that they need to just speak it out, Mm -hmm. to renounce it if they need to, to just, just confess it. I pray for the courage and the boldness and the Holy Spirit's power, Father God, to help them move past their past. The past does not define them, but you do. And I pray every scripture that they've ever read begin to rise up into them like a song that gives them the strength and the courage to move beyond. And I just pray um, for your hope to rise up in them as well. And we thank you and we praise you for your goodness, your hand of favor. You are a good, good father and we will sing your praises in your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. 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 Thank you so much, Amy, again, for joining with us. Thank you listeners for listening in. And I too pray that the God of hope and glory would be very evident and present in your life today. Until next time, God bless you. Bye-bye.